0: I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching to you on prophecy and particularly the 70 weeks of Daniel. 70 weeks. I like what Mr. Alva McLean said. He said the 70 weeks of Daniel is the bridge of prophecy between the Old and New Testament. And I've got his books. I don't know if I got one here. I think I got one over here. Uh yeah, this is Mr. McLean's book on the seventy weeks. Now I like him, but I like this man better. It seems like he is more specific. Uh that's Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ by Harold. Honer h-o-e-h-n-e-r he is he used to be a professor at dallas theological seminary dallas theological is one of the top postgraduate seminaries in america and he's got a chapter in here on the 70 weeks of daniel and i love his ability and reasoning he's very good and uh, let me set that back down here i'm talking about the 70 weeks The 70 weeks is surely the picture of prophecy for the end of time. Uh, If you would like to turn with me over over to Daniel 9, if I do some reviewing, it's because I didn't learn this all at once. I started studying prophecy and the 70 weeks of Daniel in 1964 when I was just 25 years old and uh, I started studying that I was asked before church what's the significance of 7 it's completely significant the number 7 7 in the Hebrew is the word Sheba S-H-E S-H-E B-A the Queen of Sheba was the Queen of Seven. It comes from the word Shaba, which is also a form of this, to seven. And it we get the word Shabua, S H E B U A H, or excuse me, A W A, S H E B U A B U W A, Shabua. And shabuah means to take an oath to God. Now, what God's going to do? Because Israel, for five hundred years under kings, or five hundred and ten, a few years more or less, from First Samuel to Second through Second Chronicles. Now, we call these the history of Israel first and second samuel first and second kings and first and second chronicles the jews called this one book they called it the book of the kings now we separated it into first and second kings and first and second chronicles these these section here kings and chronicles have basically the same accounts but when they have the same accounts they approach it from a different viewpoint just like i've told you when you study matthew mark luke and john i don't know why i wrote out mark but it did matthew mark luke and john you need to look at the corresponding chapters i showed you that earlier when i was talking about demons on on luke 8 matthew eight and mark four mark five i showed you that and you'll have something that'll be said that won't be said in the other accounts it's just like in mark that guy that had the demon he was screaming and yelling cutting himself and bleeding all over the place it doesn't say that in look but it's the same man and it, when you go into to matthew it's two men so you but you won't get that just reading Mark and just reading Luke. And you won't get the guy being crazier than a loon like he was in Mark, in Luke and Matthew. You gotta that's the same way it is with the Kings in Chronicles. You've got to read what Kings says. Why do they name it different? They say that Kings was looked at from the viewpoint of the kings of Israel Kings and that chronicles was looked at looked at through the view of the priests of Israel and when I see priest and king God has made us priests and kings and how has he done that he's put Christ in our hearts and our hearts he's the high priest and he's the king of Israel so what I want all the time that they were a nation for 500 I usually say 510 years They did not go after Baal and the Grove in 1st and 2nd Samuel. If you read 1st Samuel, the 7th chapter, it'll tell you they had put away Baal worship. But they had been going through it while they were in the wilderness. And when they were uh, in Egypt, in Egypt, when they were in the wilderness for 40 years, they came, they came through. They were in this this little V-shaped piece of land there. That's the Sinai Peninsula, and they came up here and came through Moab, came through Baal Peor. Baal Peor, P-E-O-R. But they picked up Baal worship there and then brought it into the land. Besides the fact there were two chapters where they really messed up. First and second Samuel was really about David and Saul. Saul was afraid that David was trying to steal his throne and he was chasing David all through first Samuel uh, and and God killed Saul for that because it was God's idea to put David in charge. Well, from 1 Kings through 2 Chronicles, you got two particular chapters where they are getting very wicked in their heart. And it's just unbelievable in the 11th chapter of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 11, that's when Solomon, of all people, Solomon was a wonderful man of God, God loved him, but he allowed his 700 wives and 300 concubines to, to bring in their Ashtaroth, their Molech, their Shemash gods. How you could do that, I don't know. I'd like to ask him that when I get to heaven. Solomon, what were you thinking of? He'll probably say, I don't know what were you thinking of when you were living so wicked and evil. I'll uh, say, guilty as charged. But then that's in the that's in the eleventh chapter of First Kings, and then in the sixteenth chapter Of first Kings that's when Ahab married Jezebel Jezebel was if you notice the word bel is on the end of her name this is Israel if this is northern Israel here and this is southern Israel southern Israel was called Judah it was comprised of two tribes the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Benjamin. And there's reasons for all of that. And Judah was the fourth son of Jacob. Benjamin was the twelfth son of Jacob. Northern Israel was ruled by Joseph and particularly through his second-born son. Well, I like spelling wrong when I'm talking. S-E-P-H-E he had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Ephraim received the inheritance of all Israel. And that was the ten northern tribes. And Ephraim was their leader, was the leading tribe. And it was actually Joseph's tribe. Now, what I'm, the point I'm trying to tell you is God had told Moses, You tell Israel if they go after any of the gods, when their kingdom, I'll send four judgments. I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and then I'll send the beast. I've gone through that a thousand times. I can't teach the Old Testament without saying that. And the beast was Babylon, Iraq, Persia, Iran, and all of its bodies around it. Greece, Greece overthrows Persia. You got the Babylonian line the lion being the most regal of all the animals of the Serengeti. And, and, uh, and it was on the Euphrates River, magnificent regal empire. And then then the Persian bear, the bear being the largest carnivore in the world, the, the polar bear and the uh, Kodiak. The Kodiak bear may be a little shorter because he's a lot heavier. And when they stand up and reach up, they stretch out to about 17, 16 to 18 feet. I've done some research on that. Can you imagine something coming after you that was nearly twice the height of these ceilings? Woo-wee. Well, the largest armies that ever existed was the Persian armies but when alexander the great comes along he's called a leopard leopard is a is a killing machine that's what alexander the great was he had some of the most fantastic military uh tactics that's ever been discovered he was really a clever man and he died when he was about 30 32 years old but he literally Gave He gave all of the world, all of its dialects, all of its glossa, its dialects, its glossa. Glossa means foreign language, foreign language. There was a different dialect of the Greek common street language in every city-state. And these dialects would differ as much as Spanish and Italian. In Acts 2, that's what they said, how here we a man, in our own dialect wherein we were born. These were Jews from every nation under heaven. So when you're talking about the scattering of Israel, you're talking about where Christmas comes from. Let me put it over this way. You're talking about Christmas... You're talking about tongues. You're talking about Israel being scattered and going after the same gods in Israel in Israel that were brought into the church by Constantine in 325 A.D. A.D. And in 325, he actually started this whole thing in 312. AD that's when he issued the edict of toleration and that is what Roman Catholicism is built upon we will tolerate the gods we'll tolerate everything that everybody's doing and it's called the edict of Milan or the edict of toleration that's what's going on in the world today when we talk about you need to put up with everybody's different beliefs and don't say anything that offends anyone what do we call that political correctness correctness. political correctness is the same thing political correctness is the same thing as the edict of toleration that's why we can know people don't want to hear the truth define the defined truth they like they like their own opinion so when we study tongues or Christmas what Israel went after we know that what they went after when they were a nation from 1st Kings to 2nd Chronicles in particular where Solomon brought it in and where Ahab brought it in and he built temples for these gods when Ahab had been parting up here at Mount Carmel one time, right above Israel is Lebanon and you can see it right here right up here right there and right above Israel is Lebanon so Ahab is evidently parting here and the and the palace of Ethbaal which means with Baal is right over the over the line so somehow he met met Jezebel at some party one night and says she sure is hot I want I want her he marries her brings her gods down into Israel and her gods were Baal Grove Shimash Molech Shimash is what they call the sun god over here in Jordan Ammon Jordan uh, excuse me in southern Jordan Moab they called the sun god Shemash they called the sun god uh, Molech up here in northern Jordan it was called the land of Moab and the land of the land of Ammon and you'll find Israel fighting Ammon all the time they're going going against Ammon constantly in battle that's what they brought now the reason we know the reason we know I want to emphasize this that what Israel got involved in was the same thing that Constantine brought in the church and renamed the Feast of Saturn or the Saturnalia He renamed it Christ Mass. Christ Mass, and they dropped one of the S's to kind of conceal it. I don't know why people can't look at the Word and understand that it's Roman Catholicism. I can't figure that out. I figured that out when I was 12 years old. I didn't know nothing about it. I studied it later on. But here's the whole point. Revelation 17 and 5 said Babylon was the mother of harlots all harlotry or the word harlot pornea p-o-r-n-e-i-a means idolatry if Babylon mothered all idolatry then what Constantine brought in the church and called Christmas was the same thing that Israel was involved in for at least 500 years under kings when they went after Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech. It was the same thing. If Babylon mothered it all, she gave birth to it and nurtured it. And she founded it on one state that let us make us a name. And I've said this so many times. Let us make us a name. Frightened me when I first begin to see it. That's everything. Name is the word onoma. Excuse me. It's the word Shem in the Greek. And Shem was the second born of Noah. And they said we don't like what Shems tells us to do. And God blessed Shem, and he became the leader under after Noah, not 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 uh, the other two brothers, not Ham, not Japheth. Shem. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And they say we want our own Shem. We don't like Shem telling us what to do. So the reason for the seventy weeks of Daniel is because of what Israel did from here first Kings to Second Chronicles. That's it. If you read first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, you'll know why God brought sword, famine, pestilence, and the beast. It was Babylon in what is actually Assyria in 722 B.C. that scattered northern Israel, and Syria is actually northern Babylon. Syria is up here between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, this area right here, the Caucasus Mountains. The Assyrians were Caucasians, one of the most evil people that ever lived. What gets me, Caucasians think they're better than blacks or yellows, or and they have the worst history of anybody. They were very evil, wicked. Before the Assyrians were the Scythians, they lived on horseback, and they marauded and slaughtered and butchered everything they could that got in their way you didn't want to move into a Scythian village you didn't last for long or among the assyrians they invented i keep saying they invented all of these things that the american indian did scalping that was invented by my ancestors the caucasians the assyrians bearing a man up to his neck in the desert in the sand Pouring honey on his head and uh, turning fire ants loose on him. That was Assyrians. That was my ancestors. That's uh, in any of the other torture devices, the American, when the when the uh, conquistadors landed in San Salvador, they brought all those torture things with them, and the American Indians got a hold of them and started using them. Just amazing to me. Now let's get to the lesson. So God sends all of these. He sends the sword. The sword is where their enemies would come in. And they would, if this is a city, they would come in and they'd block every road coming into the city. And they would have a siege That is where they wouldn't let any food, any water, nothing come in, let's say for two months. How hungry do you think these people were in two months when they couldn't get any food? (laughs) Have you ever gone for a month without eating? They would go that long without eating. And their babies would start dying. And they'll start eating their babies. You find that in the fifth chapter of 1 in of First Kings. You'll find that in the nineteenth chapter of Jeremiah. You'll find it in even when God warned Israel in the twenty-eighth chapter of Deuteronomy. He said, You will eat your children if you're not obedient to me, and that's where the famine would start coming in. The sword would be these guys blockading everything and that's the sword then the famine would come and their children would be dying and they didn't know what to do but they kept worshiping those sun and tree gods sword famine pestilence and with the famine would come all kinds of disease that is called disease And I don't see how God's not destroying this nation. Because the preachers, he said, if you're not obedient to me, there, and he doesn't say it once or twice. He says it dozens of times in the Old Testament. If If you read Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, if you read that, and read the prophets that prophesied against Israel, like Ezekiel and Daniel and, And Jeremiah said, God's brought this disease upon you because you don't worship Him. Well, because they were not obedient, how could America be obedient to God's Word when the preachers aren't telling the truth? They don't even know what to obey, do they? They don't know what to do. You listen to these Baptist preachers that talk about accept Christ as your personal Savior. Pray this sinner's prayer and you're home free. It's not true. And You hear them talk about the Christ mass being the birth of Christ, and it's not. It was the birth of Mithra, the chief sun God of Rome in the ancient world. You hear them. You never hear, you never hear tribulation. We must do much tribulation to enter the kingdom of God. You don't hear. You have to be hated by the world. If you're popular in the world, you're an enemy of God. If you're popular, a popular singer or a popular sportsman, I believe Tom Brady's an enemy of God because he's very popular in the world today. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers of the false prophets. If you're friends with the world, you're an enemy of God, James 4 and 4. And friendship with the world is enmity against God. If you're friends with the world, A-C-H-T-H-R-A, you're hostile to God if you get along with the world. I have learned something in my life as I've gotten older. I This is a personal testimony. I used to be want to be rich and famous god gave me a big super tenor voice when i was young don't have it no more i can't sing i can't sing a song without hurting and i had this big tenor voice and and i thought god must have given that to me so i could be famous and i kept trying to climb the ladder of success and that's not what god wants his people to do he wants from us commitment to him, living godly and righteously and holy. I was trying to live a life that I had no business being in. Have you ever tried to do that? You know what you have to do to get up the ladder in the music business? You gotta make friends at the top. You know what you have to do to make to get up to the top of real estate? You gotta make friends at the top. You gotta be friends with the world. You know how you get up in the music world? You gotta make friends at the top. Talent has nothing to do with it. There's, there's a great guitar player hiding under every rock and behind every tree in Nashville. There are thousands of them. There are great singers everywhere. There's great piano players. There's, there's so many of them here. You cannot count them. I remember one time I saw Jerry Lewis, the old comedian on Johnny Carson's show. Jerry Lewis said, there's room for everybody at the top. Johnny said, there's not room for everybody. There's only room for a certain few. And that's exactly true. I thought, thank you, Johnny. And he at least knew that. So, let's get back to the message. All right, let me erase this. We went through last week, there were we're talking about God releasing Israel of course the first what he does he has Assyria come in and scatter northern Israel and you'll find that story or you'll find that finality in 2nd Kings the 17th chapter that's where the Assyrians scattered northern Israel and then Then you have, that was in 722 B.C. The whole thing about the 70 weeks is about when is Israel going to come out of that captivity? And then you find this is northern Israel, and then southern Judah was scattered in 2nd. This is in 722 B.C. This is in 586 B.C., and this is in Second Kings, the 25th chapter, and Second Chronicles, the 36th chapter. 36. Now, Israel is scattered. We're talking about them being in captivity. What do you mean captivity? I mean, the Assyrian armies came in and took northern Israel away. Killed people by the, hundreds of thousands left them dead in the street and then in 586 babylon has overthrown syria and they come in and carry southern judah into captivity over here now when you when you see southern judah in captivity northern israel never comes back from the captivity until the end of time what's amazing to me the entire bible is about the captivity of northern israel and southern judah and everybody knows about the 400 years of bondage they made movie after movie of that four hundred years of bondage i've never even heard a preacher talk about the years of captivity when israel was carried away they were in captivity for 2,600 years. At the end of time, I've read to you some of the things. Northern Israel and southern Judah, the Bible tells us that there, that this one between them, this resentment, will be healed at the end of time. Now, I'm going to go through these chapters At the end of time, there'll be one nation, one nation. That's what they are right now. All the time they were in that captivity. The question that Daniel is asking, Lord, how long are we going to be in this captivity? And Ezra was asking the same thing, and Ezra was a priest of God. How long? And then Gabriel comes to Daniel about the time of the evening oblation. Gabriel and tells Daniel 70 weeks. Except it's not weeks. It's Shabuah. S-H-A-B-U-A-H. Remember the word Shabua means to take an oath. Take an oath. are to seven one's self. To seven one's self. Now I was asked before church, what is the significance of seven? Seven has to do with, it means to be perfected. You'll find, when you find these sevens all through Revelation, sevens, you'll find twelve. Seven is the number of the perfected church. In fact, you can equate seven with the word perfect. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Perfect is the word teleos. Teleos means to mature. Well, that's what God's got to do to Israel 70 times 7. Israel, i got to say it again because a lot of people will miss, miss this. Israel, God tells Israel, every seven years, I want you to have a sabbatical year. You'll find this in Leviticus, the 25th chapter. And he says, I don't want you to touch the land you don't harvest anything and you don't plant nothing. Do you understand me? they said we don't like that. Leave the land alone every seven years. What grows of itself will be for the poor, for your animals, and even some of you that want to go out and gather, but you can't plant, you can't reap. The thing is they had a winter they had a winter harvest, a winter planting right before that at the end of the sixth year so they couldn't if they couldn't harvest any of that that they planted at the end of the sixth year and then they had they couldn't plant in the winter of the seventh year so they had nothing to harvest in the in the fall of the eighth year it was like a two year period we got nothing to eat for two years god said if you do it my way I'll fill up your basket, your store, your storehouses will be packed full. He says, and you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways. But if you do not do what I say, I'll send these four judgments. And sure enough, for 500 years, they kept going after these other gods simply because those were fertility gods also. And they didn't require the sabbatical year. But here's the thing. If you plant, I keep saying this, if you're a farmer out in Kansas or Nebraska, and you got all of these, you got a thousand acres, you can't plant the same thing every year. Any farmer knows that. I know that. I tried planting the same garden over there on Irvine where I used to live for 10 years, and... At the end of 10 years, we'd, me and Mary go get some of these jumbo tomatoes, and they'd turn out to be those little cherry tomatoes. They wouldn't grow. We had sucked the nutrients out of the ground. And can you imagine what Israel looked like after 490 years They had not kept the sabbatical years, and, and it, the ground cannot restore the nutrients, then it wasn't doing it? They, they had really brought it upon themselves. So, what I want to talk to you about, we said last week there were four degrees given by the kings of Persia. Israel was carried away by Assyria and Babylon. And then Babylon was conquered by Persia. And these kings, Cyrus, Darius and Artaxerxes A-R-T-A-X-E-R-X-E-S Artaxerxes these were Persian made kings Persian empire was a dual empire Persian made the maids it's believed were right up here at the top the uh, Kurds it's believed the Kurds come from the Medes. The Kurds were people that had wandered over to to this northern section of what they call Persia, or we call Pakistan or Iran. They'd come over here. I ran into a Kurd downtown running a sandwich shop, and I asked him, "Do y'all have a king?" He said, "Yes." I said, "Do you have boundaries?" He said, "No. We just live." nomadic life in the area of northern Iran but we don't have boundaries we just live where we want to live and that's where they believe the Medes come from the Medes it's believed were European people that had wandered over here into that area they were probably Caucasian people but anyway they So we figured out last week or a couple of days ago the first two decrees for Israel to come back from the captivity. They were in in captivity. They were depressed until they began to be released. They were kind of let loose in Babylon and they could buy houses. There was supposed to be a, a... A tributary between the Tigris and the Euphrates they said a lot of rich Jews lived on that tributary well they started they got all kinds of land in Babylon they started getting prosperous and making money and planting gardens and planting planting, uh, all kinds of crops and they were being prosperous so when they get these decrees to go back to this wasteland and rebuild a temple and they get there and when Nebuchadnezzar had carried southern Judah away, he had ripped the the, the nation bare. What they would do when they would go into a town, they would they would sack the town. Now we think of that sack as something in the NFL when the quarterback gets sacked before he gets to throw the ball. They say he got sacked. That's an old ancient word. They would just level the town. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He leveled. He pulled all the stones off the temple. He pulled all the walls down. He burnt everything to the ground. Then they would plow the field up. They'd plow up all of Jerusalem, and so it was salt, so nothing would go there. And by the time these decrees start coming out, they were carried away in 586 B.C. That's when when Nebuchadnezzar did his deed of trying to destroy the land. And it wasn't until 538 B.C., sometimes later, about uh, 38 years later, Thirty-eight years Israel can look like a terrible place to go. So God touches the hearts of these of Cyrus, Darius. Cyrus gives the first decree in Second Second Chronicles, the thirty-sixth chapter, the last several verses of the chapter. You've got to read read the end of it. And then he gives a decree there and in Ezra, which is the next book in the Bible, Ezra 1, 1-3, to go back and rebuild a temple. This is their first ability to go back. Most of them don't want to go back. Why? They're prospering in Babylon. Most believers don't want to build up the house of God, and we are God's house. When God calls us to do that, what is it that builds up the house of God? Does anybody remember? That's exactly it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1, 8 and 1, Charity. edifieth. Charity is the word agape. And agape, according to Second John six, charity edifieth. Edif and charity is walking in the commandments of God. And agape was a, one of the words translated over to either to charity or love. And it was a relationship that kings had for their subjects. They gave their people laws and they willingly walked in them. That's why 2 John 6 says this is agape. You have any wrestling match with agape? It means to walk after God's commandments. That's what builds up, edifies. O-I-K-O-D-O-M-E-O. Edifies that word domeo. It It's construction of "oikos." This is in the Greek, and "dome." Dome looks like dome, and it is, but it means roof in the Greek, roof, and "oikos" is the word house or family. So, if you walk in God's commandments, the same is true with Israel when God says. Go back over here and rebuild the temple. And most of them say, No, we don't want to go. We're being prosperous here in Babylon and let us make us a name and buying houses and lands and planting and reaping and sowing and making money. And why would we want to go to this wasteland of Israel? Why do we don't want to do that? We don't want to do that. I could spend an hour on that. Now, Let me erase some of this. We said last week that, or a couple of days ago, that you've got to remember something. You have to remember a statement that I made a couple of days ago. The Medes and the Persians that gave Israel the opportunity to go back and build the temple build the temple and the city that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed, these men, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. It looks like these guys believed God. I don't know if they did or not. Cyrus gave the first decree to rebuild the temple. You've got to remember something. These are all Persian Medes kings. The Bible tells us in Daniel 6, tells us in the book of Nehemiah several times, that the laws of the Medes of maids and Persians and Persians altereth altereth not You could not alter. Once a Persian king made a law, it's just like when when these guys parted against Daniel, the princes of of the land Daniel had been made top among the princes of the land and Darius was the, was the was the king while Daniel was in the land and these other princes were jealous of Daniel because he had Darius's favor so they said let's get together and let's go polish the king up and tell Darius you are a wonderful king, O oh great king. You need to make a decree that anyone that prays unto a God beside you for the next 30 days has to be cast into the den of lions. And then he makes the decree because he is suckered in by those guys. And he loves Daniel. And as soon as he makes the decree, Daniel goes and kneels down in his window in front of his house so everybody can sit and he prays to Jehovah God and these evil wicked princes run to Darius and say he did it he bowed to his God and prayed you got to throw him in the den of lions and then it says according to the laws of the Medes and Persians that altereth not even Darius couldn't change his own decree the kings couldn't do that Well, once Cyrus made the decree to rebuild the temple, that was in 538. And then in 520, that's when Darius comes along and this wicked man named Tatanai, T-A-T-A-N-A-I. Tatanai comes up and tries to stop the building. And Tatanai is over here in... Israel and he is a what's called a satrap that is more or less a governor that's a man that collects taxes and enforces the laws of the king over here in Babylon he enforces the laws over here well I comes up and says you're 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 rebuilding a city that's been rebellious I'm gonna tell on you people if you don't stop. And they stopped for two years. They start building in five thirty eight and they quit building in five thirty six BC. That's when they quit for sixteen years till five twenty. And we said this last week that Tatanai goes over here to Darius in on the Euphrates at Babylon. They loved the Babylonian system, so they all made that their capital. And, Tad and I goes over there, and he and they've got a representative of the people going over there. And Darius had known that there had been a decree by Cyrus, and all he had to do was find it. So he looks and looks and looks, and he finds the decree in the summer house that had been given by Cyrus. But since these decrees of the Medes and Persians altars, he could not make a new decree to rebuild the temple. The only thing he could do was give a decree to reinforce what Cyrus had said. That's all he could do. So he did. <laughs> I love he did. He had Tatanai in the he had Tatanai in the meeting room, wherever there's meeting, uh, probably some marble auditorium of some kind, and he says, Now, Mr. Tapp I, if you don't support these people, this is a decree made by Cyrus 38 years before. If you don't support them, we're going to hang you on a tree. Now, when they hung somebody on a tree, they ran it up their rectum and out their mouth. It was kind of a little worse than just hanging them on a cross. And he was dancing around like he was an amateur dancer going, yes, sir, yes, sir. And DeVries said, not only that, I want you to pay for it out of the money you collect. You got that? Yes, sir. So we found out the first two decrees had to do with the temple. And all that Darius could do was reassert what Cyrus had said. Then you have a third decree. This second decree is in is in, in Ezra. Ezra is a very important book. Ezra was a high priest. He was a descendant of Aaron and in Ezra the 6th chapter the first decree was in was in 2nd Chronicles it all has to do with Israel going back rebuilding their temple that had been completely destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and this 4th decree that's given by Art we just call him Art of Xerxes the 4th decree the the, the third decree was about supplying the temple there's not a, you say Jim why are you saying all this because the big argument over the 70 weeks of Daniel's is when these decrees which one started the 70 weeks it has to be this one when a Persian king wrote anything down it was law from then on, as long as the Persian Empire stood, they couldn't change it. That's why the same thing happened in the book of Esther. When Esther was a chosen woman, when Vashti, or Vashti, however you want to pronounce it, when she wouldn't report to the king Xerxes, or as the Bible calls him, a Ahasuerus, when she, she wouldn't report, then the king sends out for all the virgins, the beautiful virgins, to be brought before him, and the one he picks out to take Vashti's place is Esther. Her name was Hadassah. We used to get emails from a woman named Hadassah in Israel. Uh, I don't know what happened to her, but she used to write to us. That was Esther's real name Hadassah, H A D A S A H. Hadassah Esther, and when when he chose her, her uncle was Mordecai. Mordecai, and he was a righteous man. I'm not going to go through the whole story again, but Mordecai was he was there was a there was an evil man. I've been talking about these evil men. I'm trying to get to. Uh, well, I erased his name. I'm trying to get to Sandballot. He was the evil guy that was opposing Nehemiah. You say, Jim, you said these things. I didn't get all this stuff all at once. I've been studying for. I've been studying the seventy weeks of Daniel since 1964. That's a long time to study prophecy. Anyway, you actually have to study all these people. You have to study Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. And you have to... No, no, I won't go into that now. Excuse me, I'll start to say something. If I say it, I'll be on it a long time. So, one thing you have to understand is that when the decree started to restore and build Jerusalem, Daniel 9.25... The Bible tells us in Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and thy holy city, Daniel, to perform these six points to make an end of sins, to finish the transgression of Israel. These are the six things I said this in last week's title. The 70 weeks of Daniel is the time period that God's going to whip Israel, scourge Israel, and cause them to repent of their wickedness. And it hasn't happened yet. And it's going to happen at the end of time. And the two nations that they were split into, northern Israel and southern Judah, southern Judah, The Bible says they're going to become one nation at the end of all of this. And that's what they are now. As of May 14, 1948, Israel became one nation for the first time in 2,600 years when they were carried away. This is the prophecy of the end of time. There were six points in Daniel 9.24. I'll give them to you. Number one, finish the transgression where they were going after these idol gods to make an end of Israel's sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. The word reconciliation, kafar, is the same word as atonement. In the New Testament, reconciliation is and atonement are the same word, they have the same meaning as baptism, and they have the same meaning as peace, the ark within and without with pitch, make a reconciliation for inequity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, it means to stop all visions and prophecy, to fulfill it, and to anoint the most holy, the most holy was the inner sanctuary, in the temple, the inner sanctuary and this part right here, where the Ark of the Covenant was, that was called the House of God. Because He came down out of the cloud and set upon the Ark of the Covenant and ruled Israel from there. And Christ is a son of His own house, whose house are we? And to build up this House of God, You've got to go back to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem now is heavenly Jerusalem, the church of the firstborn. Now, how much time do I have, Mike? I've been reviewing a lot today. It's hard to teach this without reviewing it so people will know what's going on. Now, what I'm going to do is go over to Nehemiah. Nehemiah Ezra Master Job Psalms Proverbs I. Nehemiah the first chapter. Nehemiah and Ezra were had to be friends. They were without a doubt friends. Now, there's a decree given, like I said, the first decree to Cyrus, the second decree by Darius to confirm the first decree. So since Darius knew all he could do was confirm Cyrus' decree, when you get into the third decree by Artaxerxes and the fourth decree by Artaxerxes, you cannot do anything but confirm the rebuilding of the temple. The two things they got to rebuild is the temple and the city, and there has to be a decree by the Persian kings to do that. That's what the Bible means in Zechariah, the first chapter. Zechariah started. Zechariah started prophesying approximately five twenty. BC that was in the second year of Darius so Darius was alive and well when Zechariah starts prophesying Zechariah is the fourth to the last book of the Old Testament Zechariah says in the fourth chapter in the fourth chapter of Zechariah 4 not by might nor by power but by my spirit and he's talking about Israel being delivered from this captivity not by might nor by power but by my spirit saith the Lord what is he talking about he's talking about God's Spirit coming to Cyrus Moving upon him to give a decree for Israel to go back and rebuild the temple. God's spirit comes upon Darius, who loved Daniel much, to, to give a decree confirming that decree. And Artaxerxes, it's by the spirit of the Lord that God comes to Artaxerxes to furnish the temple with the things it needs. And it's gonna be God's spirit that comes upon Artaxerxes through the through the their association with Nehemiah, and that starts in the we get that confirmation to go build a city. When the Bible says in Daniel nine twenty five From the going forth of commandment to restore. And build Jerusalem. That wouldn't mean anything to you. If you hadn't studied. First and second Samuel. First and second Kings. First and second Chronicles. And you watch Israel constantly go after. All these Kings. Except three of them. Some of them were halfway righteous. There were three. That were. Completely righteous after God really dealt with their hearts. Who was the three that was righteous? David, Josiah, and Hezekiah. David, Josiah, and Hezekiah. That's right. David, Hezekiah, and his great-grandson Josiah. Some of the others were somewhat righteous. Asa was a pretty good guy until he got old. He got honorary. Jehoshaphat was a good guy, he read the word of God throughout Israel other than the fact he ran around with the wrong people, he ran around with Ahab and that ended up with Ahab's daughter and Jezebel's daughter seeing him at a party one night Jehoshaphat evidently took Jehoram with him and, and Ahab's daughter Athaliah marries Jehoram brings her gods down into southern Judah and corrupts southern Judah. That's why God carried them all away. And the whole, when you look at these priests or these prophets, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, you see these guys and they're all prophesying against Israel for what they did going after these other gods America's going after the other gods too we've got Christmas and we've got Easter and it's all paganism they don't have anything to do with Jesus Jesus is what our worship is about now so when you get into Nehemiah, Artaxerxes the king of Israel. I gave you, a, I gave you a, uh, one of these. I'll make some more and give them to everybody. But this has got the kings of Babylon. The kings of Babylon. The only one of Babylon we're interested in is Nebuchadnezzar II. And then here's Belshazzar down here. Belshazzar was not the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He was way down the line an ancient king. Then you had Cyrus. You had Darius I, which is the one we're talking about. Xerxes there in the book of Ezra. And then Artaxerxes I, and they'll tell you the dates on them, let you know where they are. Now I'll make some more of these and give them to everybody. Now, the second decree, the third, I'll get it in a minute, the fourth decree is the one from the going forth of commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. Messiah the Prince is Jesus. A Prince is one who is being be crowned king and the, the from the going forth command to restore and build Jerusalem, that has to be Nehemiah, the second chapter, unto Jesus, the Prince of Israel, will be seven weeks, three score, and two weeks. A score is 20, three score is 60, 60 plus 7 is 67 plus 2 is 69 of the 70 weeks of Daniel will be finished when when you get to Jesus and then you got seven you got one week to go and most people here have heard of the seven year tribulation at the end of time haven't you have we all heard of that? That'll be the 70th week of Daniel's 70 weeks, and I believe we're headed right towards it. Now, what I want to do is show you that the fourth decree, you've got to keep in mind the laws of the Medes and the Persians, alters not. All a Persian king had to do was write down a decree in his handwriting, and it was law and that's what happens here in fact that's what happened to the first decree when you go to second chronicles the 36th chapter that last verse it says that ezra put in writing a decree to rebuild the house of god that made it law you got to know that about the Medes and the persians before you understand then here in chapter one of nehemiah The fourth decree by Artaxerxes, the third decree by Artaxerxes was given in 450, 57, 56 BC. The one given by Artaxerxes to Nehemiah was in approximately 444 BC. Let me show you something so you won't get confused. Nehemiah, it's pretty hard to figure out how they could do this, but Nehemiah, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, isn't it? Malachi prophesied around 357 B.C. So Nehemiah could come right could be moved over right before Malachi, but Ezra would have to be moved over. And the rest of the kings, uh, kings and chronicles would have to be moved over. And you couldn't do that because they followed Joshua and Judges. So when you get to Nehemiah, then you come up to Esther. That would be somewhere in this neighborhood. Job. Job was completely out of pocket because it's believed that Job was a contemporary and lived during the time of Abraham Job is said to be the oldest book in the Bible you have to remember Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy that's called the law or Torah or Pentateuch that was written by Moses of course he didn't write the last chapter of Deuteronomy because he dies in the last chapter of Deuteronomy <laughs> he couldn't have written that probably written by Joshua now you're going to find i got to explain some things along the way let's read the first verse of Nehemiah the first chapter I never heard any preachers even preach on Ezra and Nehemiah have you Never. it is one of the most it is important to the hilt to understand prophecy. Then he says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Kislu, which is our month December, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came. He and certain men of Judah and ask them concerning the Jews that had escaped. Now we're talking about 444 B.C. We're talking about Israel was destroyed and cut to the ground in 586 B.C. Well, that's a long time period. But you got to remember, Nehemiah is over here in Babylon, and he's getting the word Of Jerusalem being burnt to the ground at this point well why didn't he know before now well they didn't have computers they didn't have email they had just whoever could carry the word over and he's getting the word here in 444 that his temple has been cut to the ground a hundred and what would it be, 140 years before? He's just not getting the word. That Hanani and one of my brethren came, and he and certain men of Judah, and asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, escaped what? That big slaughter that was over there. Which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said unto me his brethren said the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire he's just now getting the word and it's been 140 years before takes a long time for word to travel in the ancient world 650 miles doesn't it what I'm going to do is move on down here to chapter 2 it was it was against the law to be found sad in the presence of a Persian king Artaxerxes was Persian and Nehemiah heard this word and he was depressed out of his mind. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king. If you can just think of Artaxerxes, don't think of a complicated name. Just let's call him King Bill, okay? Artaxerxes makes you think it's real complex and it's not the king that wine was before him aha and i took up the wine who is i nehemiah was a cup bearer. a cup bearer was the closest man to the king closer than anybody in the kingdom he would take the wine to the king and if the king says you drink of it if you don't fall dead then i'll drink okay and the king trusted trusted the cupbearer. Like he was sometimes he was called a butler. Butler in the Bible doesn't mean somebody that answered the door and took your coat and hat. And the wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. He's a cupbearer. Think about a cupbearer You have to study Jewish culture to find this out. In the Jewish culture, a cupbearer was usually a eunuch. They would have him castrated so that he couldn't raise up children against the king. And therefore, he had no one to be faithful to but the king. So Nehemiah, that's very significant when you get into his enemies because his enemies try to get him to go into the temple and it was against God's law for a eunuch to go into the temple and he could die for that now I had not been before time sad in his presence it was against the law if you get sad in the king's presence but Artaxerxes loved Nehemiah that's what you have to understand Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Now we're leading right into the decree, the beginning of the seventy weeks of Daniel, the one, the one that uh, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Wherefore King Artaxerxes said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore, afraid. He was frightened. He was sad in the presence of King Artaxerxes. And that could be a death sentence. And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. (laughs) Better start polishing him up. Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, He's over here talking to Artaxerxes over here. It's about 600 miles. You could not go through the desert if you're traveling to Israel. If you're coming from the east, you had to go north and come go up here to the north of Israel and come down from the north. So Nehemiah's over there in Babylon talking to Artaxerxes. And I said unto the king, let the king live forever, why should not my countess be sad when the city, the place of my fathers, talking about Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me For what that what doest thou what dost thou make request? Artaxerxes? what do you want me to do, Nehemiah? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, Nehemiah is talking, If it please the king, O king, if it please you, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, he's 650 miles away, that I may build it, and the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him. For how long shall thy journey be? Artaxerxes said, I don't like for you to leave me, Nehemiah. You're a friend like I haven't ever had. And we'll, when are you going to return? You didn't ask favors of those Persian kings. But he loves Nehemiah so much. He says, how long are you going to be? When are you going to come back? And it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. It's twelve years later before Nehemiah comes back, and the artaxerxes is going to miss him greatly. Moreover, I said unto the king, "If it please the king, let letters be given to me; it will be law." That's the whole thing. If you don't know the king of Persia writing a letter, and it is law from now on. So this is going to be the first time a king has given a decree to rebuild the city. That's what Daniel Daniel 9.25 is saying. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Jesus will be 69 of the weeks of 483 years to governors of beyond the river I'm going to go beyond the river there's going to be some governors there that don't like me but they'll have to do it because it is a decree from the king that's ruling the entire civilized world that they may convey me over till I come to Judah and a letter unto Asaph the keeper of the king's forest he's also one of the writers of the Psalms that he may give the timber and make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house how much time to have Mike I'm not going to be I'll try to read through this first chapter and let you see then we'll get into Nehemiah's enemies that tried to stop a man named Sanballat and his henchman, Tobiah, and the Arabian. It doesn't give his name. And these guys are trying to stop Nehemiah. That's what the whole book of Nehemiah is about. Rebuilding the city that's been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. It has to do with the 70 weeks and it has to do till the end of time when we get to the 70th week. And for the wall of the city. And for the house that shall enter into. And the king granted me this letter. Law it becomes. According to the good hand of my God upon me. Now. He's going to introduce this to his enemies. That are over there. That's going to try to stop him. And I came. To the governors. Beyond the river and gave them the king's letters and said you have to support this and do it or you're dead and they don't like Nehemiah now the king had set had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me and when Sanballat the Horonite that was the chief city of Moab he was a Shemash worshipper and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, Ammon was northern Jordan, and the people of Ammon were the constant enemies of Israel. Heard of it, it grieved them that someone had come to rebuild the city, and it's been lying waste for 140 years. Grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. The children of Israel were looked upon as sleaze and slugs. And they say, you've transgressed against your God and he had you destroyed. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem he just gave the decree to Sanballat and his cohorts neither was there any beast with me save the beast I rode upon and I went out by night by the gate of the valley even before the dragon well and to the dung port they named every gate they had a dung gate, they had a dragon gate, they had a they had a east gate. They had a fish gate. Fish gate was over on the west side towards the, the great sea and viewed the walls of Jerusalem. And he is really downcast at this, which was broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but I was but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. It was looking pretty rough. Then when I up up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned, and the rulers knew not where I went talking about Sanballat, and Tobiah, and the Arabian. They didn't know where he was going. Or what I did, neither had I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers. He's not telling anybody. Nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lieth waste. Nebuchadnezzar leveled it well over a hundred years before and the gates thereof are burned with fire come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach then I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me and they said let us rise up and build so they strengthened their hands for this good work and when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian there's his name heard it they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said what is this thing that you gonna do it place looked terrible look like a wasteland will you rebel against the king uh, they did, they knew they should have known that the king had written the letter they're just ignoring the king's will and all of this was so Israel would repent and this is a picture of us repenting God scourges every son he receives so we can be a partaker of his holiness a scourge was a bloody beating They've had a beating for 2,600 years. Then they became a nation, May 14, 1948. The last verse then, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper. Don't mean money. When it's translated in the Septuagint, the word is E-U-O-D-O-O. Means well way. God will prosper us therefore we his servants will arise and build but ye have no portion no right nor memorial in Jerusalem and then they start building and they go all the way through and Sanballat and his cohorts his lying cheating thieving henchmen they try to stop Nehemiah and being a being a one of the things they did, they got one of the man's to try to entice him to go into the temple. It was against God's law for a eunuch to go in the temple. God would kill him. That was the law of God. And oh do I have any time, Mike? Seven. Over in the sixth chapter, I'll just give you the this. This is where Tobiah and these guys are trying to stop him. And what they do is they try to entice him to go into the temple. You can't go into the temple unless you're a Levite. you got to be of the son of Levi to go in the outer section of the temple. To go in the inner temple you have to be a priest, a descendant of Aaron. And you cannot be a eunuch. Look here in verse 9 of chapter 6. They made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that is not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And then there's a verse that I need to read to you. In chapter 4, verse Three. Here's what Tobiah and what Sanballat said. They said in verse 2 of chapter 4, he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? Will they pull it out of the rubbish and rebuild the city? And then they said, In verse 3, Now Tobiah the Ammonite, the enemy of God, was by him and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he, he shall even break down their stone wall. It's going to take nothing but a fox to just go up there. It'll be so flimsy. Don't believe that. Not at the end, not when. This whole book is about Nehemiah rebuilding the city of God. And when he rebuilds it, he calls out two companies of men and takes them up on the wall. And they walk down the wall on the top of the wall. God, if God did that just to show these <coughs> arrogant, smart men what he will do. And then when you go over there to chapter 6, verse 10, afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah the son of Del- Deliah, the son of meta Beel, who was shut up, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God, that's the temple, within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee, yea, in the night will they come to slay thee, And I said, should such a man as I flee from my enemies, I'm not going to run from them and try to hide in the temple. He doesn't have any business being in there anyway. Who is there that being as I am, I would go into the temple to save his life. I will not go in. He's not going to take any instructions from these guys. What they do through the entire book of Nehemiah. At one point they work thereafter Nehemiah so constantly that in four and seventeen, here's how they work four and seventeen talking about Nehemiah and the men that are building the temple. They they which build it on the wall, and they bear burdens with those that laden every one in Nehemiah's group with one of his hands he wrought the work and with the other hand he held a weapon (laughs) that is commitment isn't it you're hammering you got a sword in one hand you got a hammer in another hand just in case you get attacked this whole book is so interesting to see Sanballat trying to constantly destroy Nehemiah. And that book, this book, is about the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. That's the beginning of the 70 weeks. And these guys that don't study the laws of the Medes and Persians, not—they're not going to understand Cyrus to rise or to Xerxes. I've never heard anybody even approach that part of it—that wrote on the seventy weeks of Daniel. Well, I could keep talking, but I won't. I've given you enough already. That was a—that was a story, wasn't it? I like that. I love Nehemiah. He was. Just an unbelievable man. You can see how that he and Ezra were friends. Because when you go to the eighth chapter, Ezra is the priest. In the eighth chapter of Nehemiah, Ezra the priest and Ezra the priest stands before Nehemiah and the people and reads the scripture. So they were best friends. I love Nehemiah, I love Ezra. I never heard preachers even talk about it. But to talk about Ezra, you've got to talk about the first three decrees. To talk about Nehemiah, you've got to talk about rebuilding the city, which was the beginning of the 70 weeks. This is like a mathematical book. Everything has a time and a place to be. I don't want to go into any further because... I'm just about out of time. Am I out of time, Mike? 90 seconds. How long? 90 seconds. 90 seconds. Well, I'll pray, okay? Lord, thank you for truth. Thank you for revealing this to us over a long period of time. Thank you for letting me see this, Lord, and we know that the end has to be not far away. Thank you for your truth. Cause us to continue your work and strengthen the flock lord they need your they need your strength and help during these trying times we know i this coronavirus may be here to stay permanently because it is your pestilence that's here fight our battles i've got so many people that want to stop this ministry you stop them lord We'll praise you for everything. Give you honor for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, there's a lot of stuff, would not it? Nehemiah. He's one of my favorite characters. I love Nehemiah. He just was... He was the most gutsy guy in the Old Testament. Hey, um through Ezra. So it's Cyrus, Darius, and then Artaxerxes? Or yeah, yeah. The Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. Ezra, first chapter, Ezra, sixth chapter, every seventh chapter, and Nehemiah, the first chapter. That's the way it goes. Oh, Okay, I was looking at this one, but that's not about the... Huh? This one's not about the temple. I think it's... Well, I don't necessarily agree with everybody's separation of things. You know, are you leaving? So it's yeah. report, it Looks like this was to stop the work. Well, I don't. You can't pay attention to the men who put separations in a Bible. I separate things for myself. I'd have to sit out and look at it. I just wanted to make sure I had the order right. Well, it's Cyrus, his Artaxerxes. That's the way it is. Thank you. Those guys look like they were believers. I mean, Cyrus was, he's the guy that liberated Israel from, the Bible calls him, called cyrus the anointed of god in the 44th 45th chapter of isaiah